0: Hello, hello. I'm Andrew Van, and this is the Media Diary Podcast, where I go over the movies, music, TV shows, and what have you that recently caught my attention and I wanted to share my opinions on. For today's episode, I'm going to be going through albums that came out over the course of 2021 that I particularly enjoyed these are going to be in no particular order. Some are full albums, some are EPs. There's 12 projects in total, and they're all excellent. So let's get right into it. The first album I'm going to discuss today is Texas by Slaybells. I've been waiting a hot minute for new music to come out from Sleigh Bells. I think they're one of the most distinct bands to emerge on the rock scene in the 2010s. Their last full album, Jessica Rabbit, which dropped in 2016, is, in my opinion, their best effort. And Texas seems to be taking a lot of cues from the energy and production of that previous album trading off some of that era's more chaotic elements for more solid songwriting chops. And generally, I'm okay with them continuing to explore this sound for a second album, because as I said before, nobody really sounds like them. Sure, there are other acts adding blown-out guitars to programmed instrumentation, like Rina Sawayama or Poppy, but even then, Derek Miller has very particular taste in tones that set Sleigh Bells apart. Like, what the hell is up with their consistent surf rock influence? My favorite tracks off this one were An Acre Lost, Locust Laced, and Justine Go Genesis. Next up, I want to talk about Screen Violence by Churches. Churches. I'm not particularly fond of indie tronica in any of its many forms. Living through the early 2010s was a miserable time for me as somebody who enjoys heavier rock music, and churches were kind of late to that wave of synth-pop-inspired indie music anyway. All of which is to say I was very surprised to enjoy screen violence as much as I did, especially given how sick of 80s nostalgia I am at this point. Like, everyone does it, and everyone's been doing it for so long at this point, but Screen Violence does it well. And I think they channel that sound particularly for the purposes of addressing the dark subject matter of this album. Everything is centered around 80s horror tropes and the nightmarish existential dread of the digital world, and that works so well with the synthetic. New Wave and Electropop flavors that they're pulling from. In fact, uh, their track with Robert Smith of The Cure, How Not to Drown, was initially what drew me into this project. His voice worked as sort of a shorthand to connect what they were doing on that song with the desperation and gloom of projects like Disintegration, which made it an excellent teaser track for this album. My favorite songs off this record would be How Not to Drown, Final Girl, and Violent Delights. And the third album I want to talk about today is For Those That Wish To Exist by Architects. Oftentimes, great works of art divide people by making their appeal and turn-offs one in the same. And I feel that way about the new Architects record. It reminds me of the electronic-infused alternative rock of the early 2010s, with contemporary gent fundamentals thrown in. And that should sound either boring as fuck, or exactly what the doctor ordered, depending on your tastes. It might be easier for me to swallow this record than a lot of other people, because i am not familiar with architect's back catalog i guess they were originally more of a metalcore come progressive rock outfit two genres whose fan bases are notoriously welcoming <laughs> Especially when a band decides to go in a more pop direction and get a big budget in the studio. Well, I like big bombastic presentations very often, and comparisons with this album to bands like Amberlin or Linkin Park just make me more excited. I find this a very easy metal record to just put on in the background. The band break these compositions up in such a way that they're not going hard the whole time. There's a lot Of variety within each song, even if the palette of tones that they're using across the whole project are pretty set in stone. My favorites off of this one were Black Lungs, Giving Blood, and Dead Butterflies. And with that, we're on to the next album I want to talk about, which is Roadrunner New Light, New Machine by Brock Hampton. in my cup for the opposition plus i'm still around with it tough they say i should change the way i'm living but just can't get enough still be quick to up that chopper on this block another year another brockhampton project I largely checked out of 2020's Technical Difficulties project, which saw the hip-hop collective dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic by churning through a lot of rough experimental demos. It felt like they really could have taken their next album in any direction. But Roadrunner seems to be the leanest, meanest album that they have put out since the Saturation trilogy, and it seems like they have once and for all shed the melancholy and reflective mood that they have been in since the firing of founding member Amir Van back in 2018, which does not mean that the band isn't wrestling with their demons on this record, so much as the demons in particular have changed. Joba in particular seems to be going through a really rough time. At several points on the record, he makes reference to having lost his father recently and the trauma. Of that experience. Whereas the rest of the band seems content to go back to their usual formula of ballads and bangers, serving up plenty of both across this project. It's easily their most accessible album to date. My favorite tracks on this one were Buzz Cut, Count on Me, and The Light. On to the fifth album I'm going to talk about today, we have Eternal Blue by Spirit Box. You So, Spirit Box have been an interesting band to study from a business standpoint, self-producing their initial EPs and singles, while refusing to do the traditional tour cycles until their online presence had grown considerably. Initially, I thought Eternal Blue was yet another singles collection of theirs, given that that is how they had approached organizing their catalog in the past, as well is the fact that like five or six of the best songs from this album were released well ahead of it. I mean, Holy Roller wound up on my best songs of last year. The band seemed to have settled into a style of metal that is both hard to define and easy to recognize. Courtney LaPlante is a very versatile vocalist, capable of both full-bodied melody and disgusting death metal growls. Meanwhile, her husband, Guitar Mike Stringer plays with a lot of versatility. Between the two of them, the band are capable of taking songs in many different directions. Tracks like the aforementioned Holy Roller are firmly in the extreme metal side of things, whereas tracks like The Summit and Constance are, by contrast, very light and melodic. But the vast majority of tracks on Eternal Blue walk somewhere in between those two extremes, reminding me of a mature fully evolved version of Evanescence. My favorite tracks off of this album were Silk in the Strings, Holy Roller, and Circle With Me. And the next album that I'm going to talk about here is Ignorance by The Weather Station. in the year, I was bumping this album at the insistence of one of my friend's fiancé, who was relentlessly hyping it up on Twitter. I told myself last year after falling in love with Phoebe Bridger's Punisher that I needed to check out more female artists, Particularly from the folk and indie pop spheres. And I'm glad I did because Ignorance is a fantastic album. For how low-key and fragile many of the songs here are, the production is full to the brim with little details to notice. From the nimble bass work to wispy woodwinds and shimmering scents, there's a lot to take in here. And it's all anchored by Frontwoman Tamara Lindemann's distinctly weary voice. And I I think it's her vocal performances, as well as the grooves underlying every track on this record, that keep it from becoming boring or overly sentimental. My favorite tracks off of this one were Atlantic, Tried to Tell You, and The Robber. And the next album we're going to be talking about is Awakening from Duka" by Nine Treasures. <laughs> ¶¶ I was initially apprehensive at hearing that Nine Treasures godfathers of the Mongolian folk metal scene were going to be re-recording essentially a greatest hits album. Infamously the late songwriter Nature G of Tengri Cavalry, another popular Mongolian folk metal band, was forced to re-record his early albums once he'd moved to the United States in order to avoid legal issues. Ultimately I didn't want to hear another band from that scene butcher their older work. But Awake Awakening from Duka is at once a great introduction for new fans and a muscular reimagining of their sound, with the higher production values actually adding to the ferocity of their performances. If you have an interest in folk metal or East Asian metal, I implore you to check out this release. My favorite ones off of this album are Arvan Ald Gulin Hunshur, Praise for Fine Horse, and Nomen Delai. And the eighth album we're gonna be talking about today is Sky Dream by Jeff Rosenstock. Okay, the to make This is a Ska reimagining of Jeff Rosenstock's already delightful 2020 album, No Dream. With a little help from Jare of We Are The Union and ska Toon Network, the album takes on very different vibes from the original while maintaining all of the charm and core songwriting elements that made it great. Personally, I love these kind of remix, reimagining projects. I think they're one of the rare opportunities artists get to respond to their own catalog, and you see Jeff doing just that throughout this project. On the new version of his single Scram, there is an added bridge section where he raps about killing racists, political scandals, and redistributing income, which works well with the song's original message of telling privileged assholes to fuck off, while also adding the specificity that his critiques are coming from the left. Another change-up I appreciate is the tempo shift on opening track No Time, which was originally a 50-second blast of Punk Fury to start off the album. On Ska Dream, though, it slows down to a basic two-tone vibe that lets the listener take in the phenomenal and spiteful lyrics. There's also a surprising amount of variety to to this project for the most part there isn't a lot of sections that remind me of that real big fish 90s skate punk kind of vibe some of the tracks even drift into dub territory with these long wobbly bass lines underpinning everything so yeah this album is pretty great it stands up on its own with tons of reasons to listen to it over the original album my favorite songs on this one would be no time to skank ska dream and horn and our next album is going to be Crawler by Idols. I got some my knees and I beg my mother with the bottle bustling- Oh boy, Idols are back! For their last three albums, Idols have taken their trademark sound and pushed it to be as loud, blunt and confrontational as possible, but after the release of last year's Ultramano, it was hard to imagine the band becoming any more simplistic or hard-hitting. Which brings us to Crawler, the come-down record of sorts. Idols have always denied their association with punk music. Technically, a lot of the droning and noisy guitar riffs that propel their songs fall under the label of post-punk, but this is the first album of theirs that really makes me think of the bands in the 80s that were pushing this style of music. And it's weird, because on one hand, a lot of these tracks are somber and contemplative in a way that idols haven't allowed themselves to be on previous projects, but at the same time, they maintain the intensity that they're known for. That intensity just becoming more brooding and sullen, a low-lying rumble threatening to explode. My favorites on this one were The Wheel, Crawl, and The Beachland Ballroom. And the tenth album I want to talk about here is Who Am I by Pale Waves. Look, this isn't a groundbreaking project, but it was my most listened to album on Spotify and Last FM by an. amount. For anyone who doesn't know of Pale Waves, they're essentially an Avril Levine tribute band. Like, they play with more nostalgic sounds from the late 90s, early 2000s than just Avril, but their singer's kind of a dead ringer. But, I would've bumped the shit out of this in high school, and I'm not going to pretend I'm above doing so now. Yeah, it's derivative and a nostalgia grab, but it's got really tight songwriting writing across the board and like half of the track list doesn't cross the three-minute mark so they don't even have time to become really annoying everything's just in and out well polished single worthy little tunes i don't care this is my guilty pleasure this year favorite tracks off this are change you don't own me and tomorrow next up we have the penultimate album i'm going to be talking about which is pink shift's saccharine This was my favorite EP of the year. Most of its five tracks dropped as singles over the last half of 2020 to build hype for this new band. Punk has existed long enough as a distinct entity within rock that there are vanishingly few ways to innovate within it, and as such, fans of the genre tend to react strongly to minute differences in sound that casual observers might not pick up on. Pink Shift's saccharine feels at once familiar and refreshing because of this. I'd compare them to Sum 41 in the way that they seem to not give a shit about crossing genre lines, so long as the undercurrent of punk fury remains. Now, granted, they sound nothing like Sum 41, it's just sort of the, like, a approach to writing I'm talking about <laughs> anyway opening track Mars and I'm gonna tell my therapist on you feel like well-oiled punk alternative standards whereas toro by comparison is a very different beast starting off heavy as hell before progressing through several stages over the course of its lean minute and a half runtime like parts of this feel ambient other parts are psychedelic there's even some classic rock style guitar solo at one point. And all of this leads directly into the final song of the EP, Rainwalk, which feels admittedly a bit like Paramore Worship, but I don't particularly mind that seeing as these five tracks run the gamut of all kinds of influences, which makes for a thrilling listen, and I'm excited to see what this band does going forward. And the last album I want to talk about here is Home Video by Lucy Dacus. This was the last of the post boy genius projects to drop, and the one I had the least expectations for. Phoebe Bridgers obviously had the most style of the bunch, Julian Baker seemed to have the instrumental chops, which leaves Lucy, who, as it turns out, has maybe the sharpest perspective out of the three. I'll be honest, I don't really find home video to be a instrumentally interesting album. It's mostly pretty bare bones and not even in the kind of hazy and open way that her bandmates solo projects have been. But if there's anything I've learned from punk rock over the years, it's when the instruments are minimal, you need to start listening to the lyrics. And it's in that department that home video is leagues ahead of everything else I've talked about on this list. The details in these songs are sharp enough to kill a man. For how convenient dimensional a lot of things sound on this record and is easygoing and mild-mannered as they are, this is a difficult album to get through. Case in point, look at the song Christine. Sonically, there isn't much going on here other than Lucy's voice and some sparse piano. Hell, there's not even a repeated chorus to this track. She's just singing delicately about a friend's relationship, slowly pulling you in until hitting you with a final verse that just feels like getting stabbed emotionally (laughs) assault with a deadly dacus (sighs) and that's kind of the experience of this album lucy draws you into these little narratives about her life and then hits you with some lyrics that are slaps to the face stabs to the heart or just leave you thinking about them days later my favorite tracks off of this one are christine first time and brando while that does it for the core albums that I wanted to really dig into here, I did want to shout out a couple last little projects for anyone who's stuck around this long. I really loved the new Tyler the Creator album, Call Me If You Get Lost. It's basically the only full album of his that I've enjoyed so far, but I don't have a ton of things to say about it. I also really liked Sadistic's new EP, La Appelle Du Vide. In many ways, it has similar vibes to his project from last year, Alicia that made it onto my list. This is sparse, despondent, melodic rap that walks the line between lyrical miracle and vibe shit. Zach Fox dropped his debut album Shut the Fuck Up, Talking to Me. It is a shockingly well-made project, which sometimes works to its detriment because his amateurish outsider art style on singles like Jesus is the One or Square Up really worked in his favor, but if this helps legitimize his career, Cool. I also liked Nao's. I think that's how you say it. N A O. Uh, She's a British uh, R and B singer. Uh, Her new album, And Life Was Beautiful, is really relaxing. Uh, She's got a distinctly nasally, high-pitched vocal style that makes her pretty recognizable. If you fuck with FK Twigs or Kelsey Lou, this might be up your alley. Gojira dropped a new album, Fortitude, that's kind of been a slow burn for me. Much the way that Magma was, it's an album that I like and I realize that I like, but I feel like if you give me two more years, I'm gonna be really into it. They're continuing to become something more texturally interesting than just a death metal band or a progressive rock band. Originally, I was going to have Olivia Rodrigo's Sour in my 12 albums list, but it got knocked out at the last second. It's the kind of project that I'm sure is going to inspire a lot of teenagers to write their own breakup albums. The details on this one are fantastic. I think the feeling of being a teenager has rarely been given this level of specificity in poetry. It can feel a little one-dimensional at times, because she does lean heavy into breakup song after breakup song and yeah she feels like a normie version of Billie eilish at times but i think the songs are there and also that like it's surprisingly accessible to old farts like me because like we've lived through being teenagers and this is a very evocative well put together album and uh lastly limp biscuit put out an album called Still Sucks and I like to take personal credit for manifesting this bullshit. I'm teaching one of my friends guitar at the moment and I keep finding any excuse to use West Borland's playing as an example because it infuriates her that Limp Biscuit could be Relevant or interesting in any capacity. I'm not gonna say that this record's particularly good. It is titled Still Sucks. But there's a surprising amount of career highlights on this album, and that alone is quite shocking. Alright, that was my 2021 list of favorite albums. If you like what you heard here, I encourage you to check out our past episodes, maybe even the 2020 list of albums if you're still hungry for new music. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes under Media Diary Podcast. And as always, thank you for listening to my shitty opinions.